Well, if you've been here any amount of time, you've heard me talk about Colorado a lot, haven't you? As a matter of fact, I I talk about it enough. You probably wonder, well, where did he live in Colorado? Or did he grow up there? Or how long did he live in Colorado? That's kind of the strange thing. I've never lived in Colorado. Now, I've been there probably every year of my life. And, And in many years, many years, I've been there more than once. Now, what got me going to Colorado so much is my mom and dad did grow up there. My mom and dad grew up in in Loveland, which is about an hour northwest of Denver. And so that's where we went for family vacation to see the grandparents. And then my parents ended up getting a home and lived part of the time of the year in Estes Park, Colorado, which is about another hour northwest of Denver. And so my kids have grown up going to, to Colorado all the time. Well, you add up all those vacations and pretty soon you got a lot of great memories of somewhere. You got, you've got the vacations, a lot of Christmases, a lot of fishing, some skiing. Now there is a story about me being attacked by a demon-possessed goose, but that's, that's really a whole other story. That's another, another sermon some other day. But uh, man, a lot of time going there and, and enjoying that. And when we went to Loveland, uh, we would often, when I was growing up, we would often take a day trip and go to Estes Park, which is where I said my, my parents have a home now. Here, here's a picture of this. This picture doesn't really do justice to the town. It's, it's a nicer looking town than that picture looks like. But anyway, the, the town is in there. Uh, my parents' home is there. Do you see it? No, of course not. But that's where it is. And uh, so we, we would take a day trip. And I don't know why. I mean, I'm talking about like as a four or five-year-old, as a, as a young kid. I was just always enamored with, with this little mountain town. And not only the town itself, but driving up to it. From, from Loveland to Estes Park was about an hour drive, not because of the distance, but because you're going 3,000 feet up in elevation and, and these winding roads. But you would go up there through on US 34 on the Big Toms, through the Big Thompson Canyon. This is US 34 right here. And as it comes out of here, it goes down into that canyon carrying you to Loveland. And I just, I just think I thought it was about one of the most scenic drives in all the United States. Now, when we went to Loveland to see our our grandparents, it kind of worked out so that half the vacation we spent at one grandparent's house and the other part of the vacation we would spend at the other grandparent's house. I mean, it's family, right? Got to keep everybody happy, divide everything, even Stephen. And so we would kind of go back and forth like this. But one one year, and I don't remember the, the, the timing. I don't know if it was winter time or the spring. But one year, 1976 to be exact, My parents uh, tell my sisters and I that when we go to Loveland this summer, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to see your grandparents, but then we're going to go to the the big Thompson Canyon, which is right below Estes, and we've rented a cabin. And we're, and we're going to stay there for a week. And they were describing, and they had pictures. And man, I was so excited. I mean, I thought, this is going to be the best vacation ever. And this is the best thing in the whole world. We were so looking forward to that. Because I was already in love with this place. And, And so we're coming up on that vacation. Now, about three years prior to that... My dad had started a business. We moved from Charlotte, North Carolina to Houston, Texas, and he started this business. And some of you have been there. You've done that. It's, that's hard. It's hard getting it started. It's hard keeping it going. And even though this is three years later, my, my dad was having one of those springs, moving into one of those summers. And as a matter of fact, it was so difficult, my dad just felt like he couldn't leave. And I mean, I remember my mom and dad sitting my sisters and I down and saying, we're not going to Colorado this summer. 
And I was so hurt and disappointed. Well, actually, I was mad. I sat there on that couch, my little 11-year-old heart, and I cussed like a 30-year-old sailor. Man, I tell you what. You know what? All I knew is that my mom and dad didn't love me, and they were taking the best vacation ever in the world from me. That, that's what I felt like. That's what I knew that day. But, you know, had we done that, had we gone on that vacation... My family and I would have been right in the middle of the Big Thompson Canyon on the night of July 31st, 1976. Now, I know that name doesn't, or that date doesn't ring a bell to you, probably doesn't do anything for you, but it's a, it's a pretty significant date. That night, or that afternoon, late afternoon, a, a storm moved in over Estes Park. Now, the mountains, the high mountains, a little bit like the, the, the beach, I mean, you almost anticipate a thunderstorm coming in every afternoon. You, you're, you're going to get a shower. You're going to be some thunder and lightning. And, I mean, that, that just happens every afternoon. I mean, there was no cause for alarm. There was no reason to think anything different was happening. But this storm came in, and it was, a, it was an ugly-looking storm. Just that deep black clouds. As a matter of fact, Loveland, about 20 to 30 miles south of this, said they could look up there over the mountains, and they could see this, this black cloud hovering over Estes Park. But other than that, I mean, it's just a storm, right? But there was two things that kind of became unique about this storm. One, it rained like it was the end of the world. I, I'm, I'm going to step out on a limb and say it was a driving, pounding rain like nobody in this room has, has ever seen. The, the second thing that was kind of unique about this storm is it camped out over Estes. It didn't move. It just stayed right there on top of Estes, raining like it was the end of the world. You say, well, how much did it rain? You know, to kind of put this in perspective, I, I would imagine a, a, a lot of us maybe were here back in 2003 when, when Hurricane Isabel came through. I mean, a lot of us, you live here, you've seen hurricanes. You know what that looks like. You know what hurricane rain looks like. The reason I point out Isabel is because Isabel set a one-day record rain total for Richmond for any day, for any storm, and on that day, in a 24-hour time period, it rained five inches. So you can get a feel. Okay, that's, I, I remember what five inches looks like. I remember what that felt like in that 24-hour time period. Well, when this storm camped out on top of Estes, it rained in four hours, 12 inches. And now the thing that's unique about the mountains, every single drop that lands is all going the same place. It's going downhill into those rivers, into those streams. And there's all kinds. There's this beautiful river that runs right through the center of, of town and all kinds of streams are around it and, and below it. But every one of these rivers and streams all funnels into the river that goes through the Big Thompson Canyon. Well, that much water coming from everywhere, from a, you know 50 miles around, all that water coming everywhere down into that thing, all of a sudden this, this river that was two feet deep in some places, four feet deep in other places, it began to start rising up, as you can imagine. Now, when I say canyon, don't, don't think Grand Canyon. Don't, don't think of this big, wide-open expanse, a big hole in the ground. This canyon's a little bit different. I got a picture of it here. This is just one place. This is a road. This canyon is just these high rock walls. It's beautiful driving through it. This is, this is the road. This is the river. It's designed differently now because of what happened that day. 
The, the, the road is now about 12 feet above the river. The road used to run right next to the river. But as you can see, these high walls where there was places where as this river was, was rising, it was going down through the canyon. There's places where these rock walls aren't even 50 meters apart. It's, it starts to get really narrow. Well, the narrower it gets, the higher that water gets. And pretty soon that river right here came rolling down through there. 20, 30, reached 40 feet high. To this day, as a matter of fact, Time Magazine in 2011 had an issue on the 10 worst floods in U.S. history. And the Big Thompson Canyon flood was listed as one of them. As that water came roaring down through that canyon... It swept up everything in its path. Boulders, they're still there. You can't move them. Boulders that were 10, 15 tons were picked up and thrown like pebbles. And, and this, this canyon empties out right into Loveland, into the cornfields of, of Loveland. And for years, they found all of the pieces and parts of over 400 cars, 418 homes and cabins that were washed out. And 143 lives were killed that night in that flood. Had my family gone on the best vacation ever, it had been 148. Because we would have been washed into eternity. Would you turn with me this morning to Psalm 93? Psalm 93. Grab your Bible, or if you don't have one, there's some in the chairs in front of you. Grab one and kind of open to the center, maybe a little left of center, uh, right there, and you'll be in the Psalms and look for the 93rd Psalm. If this is your first Sunday with us, or maybe first time in a while this summer, we have been studying the Psalms. We've been looking at a variety of Psalms. I think we've been having a great time doing it. Man, the Lord has ministered to me through the message of these different Psalms. And today, we arrive at Psalm 93. It's a short Psalm, five verses long. Let's look at it here. The Lord reigns. He's robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as His belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Mightier than the thunders of many waters. Mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. Have you ever had a question for God? Now, I'm not talking about, you know, why did you make mosquitoes, Lord? We got a lot of questions like that. Why is that? Why did, you know, I'm not talking about those kind of questions, though. I'm talking about those questions where we, we feel we're wrong, but we feel like we can almost stand on, on some kind of platform of moral authority and demand an answer from God. Why did that happen? Where were you in the midst of this? How could you, if you're loving, if you're in control, if you're God, then how? And we want, we want an answer. We've got an understanding of God and, and that just can't be the case. Folks, I'd like to suggest that in all of those questions, there's one answer. There's really only one thing 
that we need to know in the midst of those kinds of events, those kinds of people, those kinds of situations. Only one thing we need to know in the midst of a, a Hitler, a Stalin, a Bin Laden. There's only one thing we need to know in the midst of being victimized or betrayed by evil. Only one thing we need to know in the midst of a job loss. One thing we need to know in the midst of a hurricane, a flood. And that one thing, I would kind of take a, a little piece of verse 1 and a little piece of verse 5 and put it together. Say, this is the one thing we need to know. The Lord reigns. In this moment right here, God reigns, God is in control, and the product of that reign, His decrees, the, 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 the rulings that come from that throne, the decrees that come from that throne, the things He does in that rule are, I love this word, very, because you don't need to say very, do you? I mean, if something's trustworthy, it's trustworthy. If it's not, it's not. You don't say, that's about 70% trustworthy. <laughs> no, if something's 30% untrustworthy, it's untrustworthy. You don't have to add an adjective to this. And yet, very, I can't express how worthy he is of all your trust. You can bank everything in this. The Lord reigns. You know, that's all I needed to know when I was sitting there on the couch as an 11-year-old. And I'm feeling like my mom and dad don't love me and they took the... All I needed to know, God's in control right here. He's in control. And you know what's interesting? On this side of the story, sometimes we get to connect the dots in life, don't we? A lot of, a lot of times we don't. But sometimes we get to see... And, that, that proverbial silver lining on this side is right. Man, look what God did. Look how God protected and provided. Yeah, yay, God. Praise God. Time out. God was reigning and issuing decrees for the 143 that were in the canyon, July 31st, 1976. He's ruling and working in their lives too. I, I don't see that. I don't understand that. I bet all the lives that 143 touched didn't like it. What, what does that look like there? See, that's where we say, God, why? One thing we need to know for our sanity, for strength, for, for resolve, just the ability to get up and live. This is what we need to know. God reigns. And I can trust what he's doing with that reign. Now let's think about this psalm a little bit. There's a historical context to this psalm. You've heard me talk about this a couple of times. Sometimes we know when and where the psalm was written. Sometimes we don't. We can't connect it to an event. Last week we studied Psalm 23, maybe the most famous psalm of all. That is a psalm we don't know historically what it's tied to. We don't know where David was, what he was thinking, what, what led him to writing that psalm. I kind of take it that it was at the end of his life. And it was the, as I told last week, kind of the story of his walk with God. This psalm, we do have an historical context. This praise is being written. This praise is being offered as the Jews are coming back from exile in Babylon. That would have been 516 B.C. Now, you've heard me talk about exile before. In this day and age, remember, these aren't, this is not a massive world. There's not 7 billion people on the planet. And, and so, you know, armies were limited in size. There was only so much they could control. There wasn't a communication system. So when you are a good army, and, and you're kind of the nation in charge right now, 
How do you keep control of these nations that you've defeated? And they did that through exile. So say I'm the king and I'm in control and I'm, I'm just winning everywhere I go. I've defeated nation A and I've defeated nation B. Well, the way I would keep these nations under control, the way I would keep them submissive is I'd go over here. Was this A? Yes. I'd go over here to nation A and I'd gather up 90% of the population almost all of the population, and I'd march them out of their land. I'd rip them out of their homes, take them out of their environment, and I would carry them over here to this other nation I had defeated, Nation B, and do the same thing. I'd take 90% of these people and march them over here. You say, well, what did that accomplish? You know, they found out is people are just a little off-center. If they're just a little uncomfortable, you can keep them under control a lot easier. If they don't understand the language... If it's not their food, if it's not their cultural ways, if you can just keep them a little off of the comfort zone, they're easier to control. And so you hear about this all through the Old Testament, different nations being exiled. Well, Babylon has come into Judah, has defeated it, and has carried them off into exile by the decree of the Lord. They wait, 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 time out. Babylon's a pagan nation. Judah's God's people. Why would God send a, a pagan nation to defeat his own people? He's punishing them because of their sin. God still does that. Sin's not okay. It's not okay with God. He doesn't look at it and say, oh, that's, that's no big deal. He punishes sin. Now, you and I hear that and think, oh, okay, this, ooh, ooh, this is about God's wrath. This is about God's anger. Ah. <sighs> Yeah, it is. You see, the problem with you and I reading about God's wrath or anger or hearing that phrase is we interpret that with our understanding of wrath and anger. We think of that bully. We think of that boss, maybe a parent. We think of what they were like when they were angry and how out of control it was. Don't transfer that over to God. God's anger is not out of control. It's not a fit of fury He's not just getting even. Matter of fact, I would say God's anger is actually motivated and driven by his love. So well, how can anger be driven by love? Because he looks at you, he looks at me, he looked at the Jews and said, you know what? That sin is destructive. You're hurting yourself, you're hurting your family, you're hurting your nation. Stop! And there reaches a certain point when we continue to ignore him and continue to ignore him. He has to do something to get our attention. Otherwise, we continue in our destructive ways. He'd been trying to get Judah's attention for 300 years. Stop the idolatry. Stop the sexual immorality. Stop the profaning of the Sabbath. Over and over and over, he delivered this message. And they wouldn't listen. And so he brought the punishment. But even as that happens, God's prophets are delivering a message to the Jews, saying, hey, listen, this is what's going to happen. Isaiah says this. Listen, I'm not warning you that you're going to be defeated and exiled. I'm telling you it will happen. It's coming. It's going to happen. But even in the midst of that, God loves you. Even in the midst of that, God's not going to forsake you. And when you're in Babylon, in the midst of that exile, God is going to raise up a king. He's going to be the king of Persia, and his name is going to be Cyrus, and he is going to send you back to Jerusalem, and he's going to have the government pay for it. Wow, that's kind of cool, isn't it? You know what's really cool about that story? Isaiah said that in 740, 750 B.C. 
Cyrus came into power and led the Persian Empire into its first existence in 550 B.C. Isaiah said that 200 years before that king was even born. Named him by name. Jeremiah talking about the exile and, and what is going to happen. Says, hey, listen, here's how it's going to happen. You're going to be exiled, but it won't be forever. It's going to last 70 years. I mean, folks, this is pretty cool. These are some of the most amazing prophecies in the Old Testament because it shows God moving foreign governments around, moving pagan governments around to serve and accomplish His purposes. And guess what? Historically, it happened just like it said. I mean, folks, that's not historically debatable. This isn't about being a Christian. This isn't about, oh, I believe the Bible. I believe it's the Word of God. I mean, there's a lot of people, oh, this is a book of myths and fairy tales. Oh, this is just, that's just what Christians believe. Folks, everything I just said is an historical fact, even proved outside of a scripture. It is an historical fact. We can date Isaiah's writings, naming that king 200 years before he's born. It's a historical fact that Judah went into exile in 586, came out of exile in 516. We see God's power moving and working in world events to accomplish His purposes. And that's what Psalm 93 is praising Him for. As they see Him doing it, man, praise God. Look how awesome God is. Look at His power. He is robed. He wears. His strength is not just what He is. He wears it. He owns it. He puts on strength and mightiness and splendor. Now, yes, there's rebellion against that. Satan rebels against God's power and strength. Nations rage against God, fight against God. And maybe the most common form of rebellion against God is individuals. Just like you and just like me. Who can rebel on a daily basis against his rule. But, but make no mistake, just because there is a rebellion against his rule doesn't mean that rebellion's having any success. Folks, our rebellion, the world's rebellion, doesn't stop God. It doesn't slow God down. It doesn't thwart His plan. In every one of these things, He's moving and working and bringing all the pieces together to accomplish only what He wants. And it's that on the day after returning from exile that they write a Psalm 93 praise and worship God for it. But let's back up. What about the day before they heard about Cyrus? Man, that was 70 years of living in a time of, of chaos and loss. And they've been ripped from their homes. They're, they're living in a world, in a culture. I don't want to live here. I don't want to do this. I don't want to be a part of this. I'm captured. I'm, I'm defeated. I mean, these are the kinds of things that you'd say, where's God? If there is a God, He clearly is not in control of anything. He clearly can't make any difference here. He clearly can't help me any here. Where's God? And of course, that's not just the kind of questions that were asked almost 3,000 years ago. Man, we ask those questions today. You, you and I have things in our individual lives, our families. We have things as we look out there at the world, we watch the news and we say, man, where's God in all that? As a matter of fact, some of these things we might point to, say, man, there's evidence that there is no God. Because if there was, there's no way that. And yet all of those ideas and thoughts could not be more untrue. It's the exact opposite. Folks, at the height of the chaos... 
at the height of the rage. God is saying, I'm going to use that over here. I'm going to use that over here. That flood will work out this way. That job loss will come out here. This is what I'm doing in their life. This is what I'm doing in this nation. And he brings all these pieces together. I think you can, I think you can kind of break down everything that touches your life. Everything that touches our nation comes from three places. And I'm talking about the bad things. The things we would prefer not touch us. Number one, it can come from God. We've already talked about that. That defeat of Judah, that came from God. That's discipline. That's punishment. Sometimes that's where things come from. Sometimes it comes from Satan. Satan attacks. Satan lives to try to thwart God's plan. Satan lives to to keep the unbeliever an unbeliever and to keep the believer miserable and trying to keep him not trusting in God. And the third place something comes from is a fallen world. I mean, folks, you can get a cold this week and it's not because God's disciplining you. It's not because Satan's after you. You can get a cold this week because in a fallen world, in a fallen body, things break. Now, sometimes I can see where things are coming from and why they're hitting. Sometimes I can't. The good news is I don't always have to figure it out because in all things God reigns. In all things God is working. Some things He sends... Some things he allows, but whether he sends it or allows it, he knows right where it's going to fit into what he's doing, and he only allows what is going to serve his purposes. Even when the evil is at its most overwhelming, God says, that goes here. That goes right here. Our God reigns. He is mighty. Do you hear the waters? Do you hear the waves crashing on the beach? Have you been to the beach? You've seen those waves this summer coming? I say that, you know, I was at the Outer Banks a couple weeks ago. It was the most pathetic waves I've ever seen. It looked like we were at a big lake. And they just come about every 10 minutes, one would come in and come in and go, boop, boop. Not big waves at all. No surfing, because I am, of course, an excellent surfer. Um, but then you go to other beaches, and man, <laughs> 10 seconds later, <laughs> The waves just keep rolling in and they're... You can't stop a wave. We're not going to build anything so the waves stop right here. Man, waves are powerful and they're consistent and they're constant and they're mighty and they're loud. Do you hear them? Do you hear the river? You know, I have fished, man, all over the, the Big Thompson Canyon and the, and the rivers and the streams around that. Some of those places, it is so serene, so peaceful. I mean, you know, the area is flat Maybe the river's a little bit wide, not a, not a bunch of big rocks in it, and, and the river just kind of bubbles down through there. So peaceful, so serene. But then there's other places that because of the descent in altitude and, and the steepness of it, or maybe because of the number of rocks or the size of the rocks or the narrowness of the river, all of a sudden that bubbling brook becomes white water and it's foaming and it's crashing and it, and it rolls down through there. Man, I've been out there fishing with my dad. You have to yell, hey, what are you using? You can't even hear each other over the sound of it. Folks, that's the normal river. The normal river sounds like that. I can't even begin to fathom. I can't begin to imagine what did it sound like as that river rose up to 20 feet. The floods lifted up. What did it sound like when it got up to 30 feet? What did it sound like when it was ripping boulders out of place, when it was tearing up trees and it was moving homes? What did it sound like a mile away? What did it sound like when it was half a mile away? What did it sound like to that 143 five seconds away? I mean, what words would you use? Awesome? Mighty? 
powerful, terrifying. Okay, now verse 3 and 4 saying, okay, do you got that noise in your head? Do you hear it? Can you imagine it? Because God is mightier. Man, whatever kind of power you begin to try to imagine, God is bigger, God is mightier, God is stronger, even more than an out-of-control flood that is ripping and tearing down the river. God is mightier than that. There's no power that stops him, that thwarts him, that causes him to stop and think. Folks, Jesus Christ is king. And he is enthroned today, has been from eternity past. We'll see a full fruition. We'll get to see that rule in eternity future. But make no mistake, he is in full operation right now. And folks, everything going on in your life, in my life, everything we're watching on the news, all of it each day is leading to, it's setting up for the day that his worldwide rule is established in Jerusalem. His throne is moved from heaven to Jerusalem. I'm talking about visible. I'm not talking about what we take by faith. I'm talking about what we see happening. And he will rule this world. Now, leading up to that day, there will continue to be a rising flood of hatred, of seething hatred for God and His people. As a matter of fact, when it comes to its culmination, we refer to that as the Great Tribulation, don't we? That seven-year time period, that that time period of the Antichrist, it culminates right before the second coming of, of Armageddon. Armageddon is the nations of the world. Now, we know that whenever this happens, it's August 18, 2013 and beyond. It hadn't happened yet. So just kind of imagine the great nations of our world, the powerful nations, the nations with big armies. Can you imagine them all coming together under one ruler, the Antichrist? All of that mass of military troops, the the, the technology, the weaponry, the the weapons of mass destruction, because that's what Armageddon is going to be. It's going to be the the coming together of all of these armies. And I can't help but imagine as they gather together, that will be the single greatest moment in human history of human power. You know what? Psalm Psalm 2, written 1000 B.C. Psalm 2 talks about this coming day. It pictures these nations raging and fighting against God's king, Jesus Christ. And as those armies are gathering, you know what the scripture says in Psalm 2? God laughs. Our greatest display of power, the greatest display of evil. <laughs> Look at that. It's cute. Sad, but cute. Let me say it for the third or fourth time now. There is no power that stops God. There is no power that causes him to go, what's plan B? Nothing even slows him down. Every form of evil, every form of wrong, he says, that'll go here, that'll go here, that'll go here, that'll go here, all leading up to the day that Jesus rules in Jerusalem for us all to see. Folks, I don't, I don't know what hurts you have that won't heal. I don't know what question you have that seems to defy any kind of answer. I don't know what kind of disappointment that you're carrying and how heavy that is. 
For some of you, I don't, I don't know what it means to be victimized by that kind of evil, by that kind of betrayal. There's only one answer, though. God reigns. God reigns. And what He's doing with that reign, what He's doing in that reign is trustworthy, worthy of our trust. Now, think about that for a sec, folks, and I'm, I'm wrapping up here. The call to trust actually implies something. You know, if you can see everything I'm doing, if you understand everything I'm doing, if you like everything I'm doing, then trust is not something that needs to be expressed, is it? The very fact that that there is an expression here of the worthiness of trusting God implies you're not going to see everything His rule is doing. You're not going to understand everything His rule is doing. And yeah, there may be some things you flat out don't like what his rule is doing. What do you do then? I think the old hymn gives us that answer. Trust and obey. There is no other way. No other way to live. No other way to get through this day. Trust. Trust what? That he's king. Obey to show that I believe it. Obedience acknowledges His rule in my life. What's going on in your life right now? He reigns. How will your life express your faith in that truth? Let's pray. Father, I pray that this belief, this faith is not just a a warm fuzzy. It's not just a blanket to curl up in when we don't like the world. I I pray that truth is guiding us in how we act in that situation, how we respond to that person. Lord, help us to see every act of disobedience denies that we believe there's a king. Every act of disobedience adds to the problem, fuels the problem of evil in this world. God, I want, we want our lives to express we have a king and he reigns and he's good. And I trust it even when I can't see it. I trust it when I don't understand it. I trust it when I don't like it. God reigns. Oh, Lord, would you guide us each in this day and this week ahead. Lord, I pray that everything we do this week, every conversation, every activity, every task, everything we do at work, Lord, I pray our lives acknowledge that Jesus Christ is king in our lives. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.